Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey friends, uh, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast and... Um, we are very excited because as tennis fans, we got all the things that we wanted um, last week in Rome. There was a good amount of three-hour matches that happened in the men's and the women's tours. So it was really fun. And it's clay season and it's pretty much reaching its end. We have had all of our Masters 1000s on clay. Um, and Roland Garros got um, scheduled for a week later, but that's fine. I mean, whatever. Um, it's We'll have to see what players say about this, like when they get to Wimbledon. But you know, whatever we got, we got a Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, and you know that was not. There's no introduction because honestly, that one they don't need one, and two, I'm just too excited to start talking about this. But first, um, let me tell you how I got to follow the score. Sometimes when my internet was like not working so well for me and my stream was failing, and it was with the TNNS app. And um, yeah, we partnered up with them. Um, they're really nice guys and their app is really good. And that's actually the reason why um, I was already using it before. So it, like, it's no secret that I wanted to reach out and like maybe like, hey, do you guys want some exposure? And we want some exposure and stuff like that, right? Like, I mean, we can be honest about this, right? <laughs> yeah. But nobody's being, nobody's being paid here. We're, it's uh, actually just a friendship kind of... Uh, partnership is a friendship in, in, in this way um but yeah like the if you if you like uh the old atp wta tennis score app you're probably going to like this one because it's um it's a lot of the same but it's it looks better so yeah there's only win-win and uh, there's a lot of new sections including a podcast one in which you can find the tennis and bagels podcast and all its of its episodes so head over there and download the tnns app we have the links in our description and finally, let's get to it. Um, Djokovic and Nadal was super exciting. And what do you guys have to say about it? Well, firstly, Andre, that was a brilliant introduction. And uh, I love the shout <laughs> out to you. I listen TNNS. to lots of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can tell. And thank you for the, the good words about TNNS app because they are doing such a phenomenal job and they have everything from YouTube videos and from even like highlights from Tennis TV and WTA and then all the podcasts, including where where we're a part of PDF of all the draws, the race rankings, everything and much more. And they're open to feedback. So you can DM them anytime. And they're such a great partnership. And we love the, that we're sponsored by them, like unofficially, obviously, but it's a great, it's a great way to follow the life course. And uh, the tennis this week was top notch. Um, this was the best masters 1000 by far. We've had the whole year on oh, yeah. both sides, you know, both the winners won after saving match points, <laughs> which was a great story in and of itself. We had epics with um you know all throughout the week and especially that semi that saturday was just you know just insane and 
it, it was it was so much. I just can't get enough of it. And I'm so excited that Roland Garros is around the corner and we have another. And, um, you know, Roger's coming back. Roger Federer's coming back. He's playing Geneva and it just keeps going. It's It's great. Yeah, I totally agree. I think this wasn't only the best Masters 1000s we've had this year, but I think it was the best in some time as well, like if you include last year and maybe even a lot of the year before. And as for Djokovic Nadal, first of all, I was just delighted that we got this matchup because I remember saying in our our podcast when the clay season was starting that I wanted to see them in the final of Monte Carlo and yeah. sort of renew uh, the epic clay matches they played in 2008, 2009. And I think that what we got was sort of as close as we are realistically going to get, considering that they're now 34 and 35. So um, so I live vlogged it because I thought it was too good of a chance to miss. And, um, and it was amazing. I remember watching the first set and thinking Djokovic needs to get off to a good start because the last two times they've played on clay, he's been bageled in the first set and he got off to a great start. He was the first one to break. Uh, both players were playing so well under pressure in the first set. They were just constantly digging out of 1530s. And at the end... Um, that set was de- decided by incredibly fine margins. And then you had another moment in the third set in the two-all game where Nadal got out of two break points. One where he was a bit fortunate to see Djokovic net a forehand, another with a backhand winner down the line, where it was just you could feel them both pushing at each other and just trying to like shove the other one off the um, metaphorical cliff to like gain a little bit of ground in the match. And, um, and I hadn't seen that between those two on clay in a long time. And it was just really, really good yeah. to see again. So um, I thought it was a brilliant final. Uh, what mm-hmm. do you guys think? Yeah, yeah I, I thought it was such a good, it was so nice to see the the chess match between the two, because, you know, obviously 57 times these two have played now, but every single time we see something a little different, little kinks, nuances in there. And we saw that this time when, um, you know, we we saw the way how Djokovic can really hurt Nadal. Even on clay, this match was a lot closer than their, their French Open match in October. And, you know, there were a lot of, I guess, reasons for that. And, you know, Djokovic having played those long matches the day before against um, Tsitsipas, the continuation of that, because it finished uh, on Friday and then there was a delay and Tsitsipas was up a set and a break. And then Djokovic came back and he was down a break in the, he was down a break to start off. He was down a break in the third. He was... Um, he had multiple chances and he fought valiantly and he won that match. And then he took that over to this Nagel match. And then, so we were all thinking, you know, four hours and 55 minutes he's played on Saturday and Nadal obviously had his tough share of uh, matches and, you know, going in with Sinner and, sh- and obviously the Shapovalov match where he saved two match points and was on the dead, was completely on the brink of defeat there. So to see them both, uh, you know, match up, we were hoping for a, for a good match and boy, it exceeded that because the first set, I think was uh, a great level from both. Um, you know, Djokovic was doing well in the longer exchanges. I thought um, if we look at the stats in the whole match, he was 20 and five, it was mm-hmm. 20 and five for over nine plus shots, which is, uh, which is really commendable because, um, you know, he's, he backs himself from the baseline um, and Nadal was winning in all of the zero to four shot rallies. And he was doing a lot better of a job than he's done the whole clay court season with his forehand potency and his surf. So he was really getting in a lot of surf plus one. And that's where he has the edge on Djokovic because he can hit his forehand through the court and he has so much margin yet so much time and space that he can hit so many winners. Um, even from that wing, even though it hasn't been there for him, this clay court season, it really came into gear in the big moments of this match. And I think that's what separates them is, you know, Djokovic, 
I thought was doing a lot better job with his forehand. He was accelerating on it a lot more. He was, um, you know, placing it a lot better. And, you know, he was using every part of the court with the drop shots and things like that. But when it came to that little extra aggression and in those, and power deficiency in those big moments, um, that gap was still there to some degree. And I think it's stuff like that that separates these two. But it was uh, it was great to see the chess chess match, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I fully agree. Like it's it's the type of match that uh, <clears throat> sorry, it's the type of that really is decided in the like in in the key points, right? I mean, even in the second set, like when Djokovic like when um got a double break and finished like with a breadstick, it's it's not like Nadal had given up like once he was down a break. <laughs> it's just like Djokovic like managed to find a way to win those important points and got up get up to the double break but if there's one thing that we know about Rafa Nadal is this is just not going to give up it's the the beginning of another set is the final set like it's a it's free for all at this point like whatever it's not like um he's in a deficit anyways he's maybe in a deficit in momentum but like Nadal is one of those players also that is really good at pumping himself out and up and um he's also at home in Rome right and now he has like um three major tournaments in which he has like more than 10, ti- 10 titles or more. Right. Yep. 10 titles, so 10 titles yeah. in Rome, 10 titles, yeah, 10 in, titles Rome. in Rome, 11, uh, 11, 11 in Monte Carlo, Carlo. 13 and, and Roland Garros. And 12 in Barcelona. So if you add those yeah. numbers up, that's 46 total titles in four events. Andy yeah. Murray throughout his whole career has won 46 ATP titles. I mean, that is yeah. just mind-blowing. Another thing that, yeah, in terms of Stasi, if you want, if you want to talk about this, uh, it's curious <laughs> that... Uh, <laughs> Excuse that like Djokovic reached 36 Masters 1000 in Rome. And also the last time that Djokovic beat Nadal was also in Rome, but it wasn't the quarterfinal. And it was in 2016. Five years ago. Yep. Yeah. It's been a while. That's that's where the rivalry is going now. I mean, this is the greatest rivalry in men's tennis, in my opinion. Absolutely. They've played the most number of matches. And it's not just the number of matches. The peak is the highest, in my opinion. Like if we look at the three, I think, you know, these two have pushed each other. They've not played. They've played every single year since 2006. Um, that's this is the seven. This is the seventeenth season in a row where they're either they one of them is playing in a Rome final, and you know if we just look at the last whatever so many matches, I mean five in a row now for Rafa on clay versus Nole, and uh, nine in a row for Djokovic on hard courts yeah. um, since the twenty thirteen U.S. Open. But I do think uh, you know margins are small. Like they're both capable of of winning one on the others on, on the other guy's surface. Now it doesn't yep. take that much anymore. Like we saw. Um, the ATP Cup, the second set uh, in 2020. It was very tight, yeah. It, you know, that could have gone either way. And then especially, you know, we're talking one or two points here in the in the third set. Um, you know, if Djokovic makes that forehand sitter at two-all break point, um, then, you know, maybe maybe he takes it. So it's... Mm-hmm. it's. And, and by the way, let's just put it out there. Like, one of, one of the things that I'm... And we, we're going we're gonna to get to that in a second, the infamous Djokovic quote. Um that he, he had in this uh, post-match, um, I think it was on-court speech that he was giving. Yeah, said it in Italian. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, so one of the things that I find impressive about those guys, I guess let's say big three right now, but we can include like guys like um, Andy Murray and, um, well, I guess nobody else at this point really, but like it, it's, yeah. it's, it's good to see that uh, when they have big wins or when they have like very physical wins or um big matches they back they back them up so like if you take Djokovic who beat um um Stefano Tsitsipas who's red hot on clay by the way right now um mm-hmm. and he pulls it off against Rafa an incredible performance that you know 
he, he would have any excuses to make instead of like, oh yeah, I was very tired. I just literally just played another match, two matches in a row yesterday. They were like three hours long or something like that. And like today I was really tired. So yeah, like that was one of the factors that made me not play as well. But like this, this is not really what happened. He he was in a very high level for a lot of the match. Like maybe for mm-hmm. sometimes he dipped a bit here and there, but like, you know, it's... He, it's no excuse regardless and he didn't make any excuses either but if you if you get like guys like um andre rublev who beat nadal in monte carlo and played a very very you know faded out match like against tc Paz. he was yeah, not it was very lackluster at all. so like it's it's important to for 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 us to get this example from those guys as well and obviously not not saying that this is easy it's not something that you can just kind of like bump yourself out to do mm-hmm. uh, it takes lots of training and physical um uh, conditioning things like that but like to get a win and move on to the next round and pull out another performance like that you know it's a uh, week in week out day in day out that's what you have to do to get to the level of Djokovic Nadal yeah and as I said, it's not like I'm saying it's easy. It's not. Otherwise, you wouldn't. You wouldn't have to. You wouldn't be just a big three. You'd probably be like a big twenty or something like. Exactly. That. Yeah. 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 And, um, and um, yeah, real quickly on that. So I mean, you know, he he's down a set in a break against Stefanos, and so now Stefanos has to come out the next day and serve that out, and that must be so difficult, you know, because yeah, now it probably like would. there's so much doubt in your mind, you know. Mm-hmm. Had they kept playing, you know, he would have had all the momentum, and mm-hmm. then they had to stop and then come out the next day and then for Djokovic to I mean play another two hours and win that one but then against Sonego he's serving for the match in the semis and he fully admitted afterwards that he messed the messed the end of the second set up and he yeah you know he wished he could have finished it in two and mm-hmm. so partially some of that is is his blame no, you know yeah. his own mm-hmm. blame but then he could have had every right after he lost the first set against Rafa he would have had every right to just lay an egg in the second set and just be Absolutely. like you know what, this is another final. I've got my matches in for Paris. You know, uh, this is this is Nadal after all. And, you know, I played a good first set. I mm-hmm. just don't feel, I'm not, just not feeling it right now, you know? And Very he could have cool. just lost that set 6-2, 6-3, and nobody mm-hmm. would have said anything, and we, we could have moved on. But yeah. that's not that's not how the best players in the world. Yeah, play. he could have had prepared yeah. like a the, the classic speech after on press conference, like, oh yeah, I was just tired. It's Nadal, like yada, right. yada, yada. Like n- knew it was going to be too uphill of a battle or something, yeah. and yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I just want to commend like the physical effort because it was really amazing, and this was just such a close match. I'm looking at the stats now, and in the entire match, Rafa only won three more points. It was 97 to 94. Yeah. Nadal won two more points on serve, one more point on the return. And if you look at the numbers of like winners on four errors, it's amazing that Djokovic made this match so close because Nadal hit 37 winners, 23 on four errors, so that's a yeah. plus 14. And Djokovic hit 28 winners and 36 on four errors, which is a minus eight. And so despite that, the fact that he had two break points at two all in the third set is amazing. And I think that while Rafa played a great match, he hit he served at 75%. He hit 26 forehand winners. I think this was also an illustration of not just how great a player Djokovic is, but how difficult of a matchup he is for Nadal on any surface. Because if you look at Nadal's serve, um, so like it let me say right away it's it's much improved um it's way better than it used to be but it's not a federer serve it's not a djokovic serve it's not a tsitsipas serve but what it is it is it is it's difficult to attack and so the fact that he doesn't get aces off of it will not hurt him against a lot of players but djokovic is the only player who was constantly going to land returns on the baseline against nadal and we saw that right away there were so many times in the match where he was just slamming deep returns that forced nadal to miss 
he was um he was executing the pattern for in the middle of the match where he directed his forehands to Nadal's backhand and sort of pinning Nadal in that corner pretty well. Yeah. Um, didn't do that too well in the first set or late in the third, but um, but he did it quite well in the middle of the match and and he lost this match by a very fine margin because when his that two all game he was very close uh, didn't end up winning it and then after that Nadal was off to the races broke to love hitting three winners so not much you can do there and then he held to fifteen and after that it's two five and the match is kind of gone and so I think even though he lost and he might feel a little bit of regret over that forehand he missed it too well overall it was a very very impressive performance on legs that Mm -hmm. had to be pretty tired so i'm excited for the matches on clay these guys are going to play in the future because i'm i wasn't sure that it had this much competitive competitiveness and it left on the dirt and now we know it does which is awesome yeah and by the way uh just a a little note before we move on to probably talk a bit more about the champion Mm uh mr rafa nadal um it's you said like oh yeah he he did super well like we all been saying like he did super well to bring out like all his weapons and just do what what he could to win but i I mentioned on twitter and i found really weird like you could even look at this match and and some highlights if you you could literally make a highlight reel of just nadal winning points and showing djokovic reactions and you could imagine djokovic was really tired because djokovic was not letting out pretty much any emotion at all he just Right. It didn't look invested, yep. but when you watch him play, it definitely he definitely was invested. He definitely was in it, like a hundred percent in it. But he just didn't didn't look like it. So it, it was it was very weird. It was kind of like a, it was very dissonant for 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 me to watch that. It was very strange. And um, but I guess like I think Vansh mentioned that as well, that, or maybe it was you Owen that said like, oh yeah, maybe he was uh, conserving energy um, mm-hmm. emotionally and mentally to try and concentrate. Or probably, or maybe it was, I don't know, somebody on Twitter said that. And it was, I thought maybe it makes a lot of sense. But that's actually interesting because to make sure that you're not pumping yourself up so that you can actually preserve, you know, physical energy to bring your best, like while the points are being played. That's very interesting, like a concept to me. Like, in, in, in I think he's, he's very interesting in general about how emotive he is and how he's not. It's selective um, at times in big matches for him. You know, he goes into the match deciding whether or not to emote a lot or just stay extremely focused and conserve energy. Because, I mean, like in this match, you know, he was just focusing on point in, pound, point, in point out. How do I, how do I get through... How do I hit through Nadal and how do I how do I maneuver him around the court when I don't have you know when I when I'm not at I don't have my full gas tank, you know, that I would normally if I had a day off or something like that. And I think he just decided and he stayed with it. And you know, there were times where I thought he would emote a little more, like in the third set, you know, in that two-all game, you know, when he won that point to get to break point. I thought he would show a little more emotion and, you know, fire up. And obviously he has a lot of the crowd support in Italy. They, they love him there. Mm-hmm. You know, he's won five times. It's a, this is the tournament where he's made the most finals too. And he, he just, he, he, you know, the Italian crowd loves Djokovic. And so I think he just, he, he was extremely, yeah, just reserved and just careful of, you know, how much he wanted to expend um, energy wise, because he didn't want to have those dips and credit to him because I think he his level was pretty steady throughout, you know, yeah. um, it took a hair of a level dip for Nadal in the beginning of the second set. And then he just, he ran away, he completely capitalized. And in the first set, his level was there. And in the third set, I mean, Nadal just hit a whole nother gear in the, uh, after he held serve. Mm-hmm. So not much you can really do. And so I feel like from that standpoint, there's a lot of positives you can take away from it. Now he wasn't he wasn't very emotive in the French Open final, and that didn't serve him but well at all. <laughs> yeah. So um, 
I, I think it's a match by match cases for him. And obviously, you know, in the Wimbledon final that he won in 2019, which everybody talks there, about so, the clutch yeah. performance there, he was extremely reserved. And he said he went into that match because he just knew that 99.9% of the crowd was going to be for his opponent. So he didn't mm-hmm. want want to give them anything to get even more. Yeah. And and this this is the last thing I'll say about Djokovic and then we can talk about Rafa, but I think you're totally right on his level. It was steadier than Rafa's throughout the match. And there like there are a couple small places you can pinpoint where his level dips. At um five all in the first set, mm-hmm. he was serving and he got to forty thirty, and then he double faulted. And yeah. that made it deuce. And after that, Nadal hit a winner and Djokovic missed a first ball forehand after the serve. So that was one area. And then in the next game, Djokovic was up love thirty. Um, when Nadal was serving for the first set. And then at 30-all, uh, for some reason that I cannot fathom, Djokovic decided to hit moon balls to Nadal's forehand. And um, and the second one was predictably and deservedly like whacked for a winner. Uh, and so I'm not sure why he did that, and that was on a huge point. But besides that, Change I think... Up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but like we know that doesn't work. Um, yeah. he, he's tried it before. Um, and then I think in um, in the third set, um, I think maybe he did have a slight dip um, at the end of that two-all game, but like I think on and the there's whole, a few backhand returns that you would yeah. normally expect him to make in the um, in when Nadal served it out at five-three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a thirty-all point in that last game, and he got a backhand return that is very makeable, and he hit it just long, and so like maybe he didn't have enough margin there. And if he had just tried to drop it a little shorter, and it still would have been deep, then that would have served him much better. But overall, his level was really steady. I think. Um, even though he didn't win, this was probably one of the best matches on clay he's played in years. And so I think um, this is the best possible note to go into the French Open on. He's going to add more notes because he's playing Belgrade too. But I think even if he didn't, and he just went right into Paris on this one, uh, couldn't ask for a much better situation yeah. because he played fantastically. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I, I find it like that um, this uh, this match it's is actually somewhat telling of the French Open, even despite what I've been saying like throughout this um <laughs> throughout this clay season that like it, it it's the matters. most telling. Yes, yeah. Rome, because, Rome Masters in general. Yeah, because yeah. one of the things that I find after this final is that um one, um you cannot beat Nadal if you're not at your at your best. Like as in like <laughs> and and two, I think like Nadal is like one, he can beat people when he's not at his best. And for for Djokovic, he can he can do better, so, and like he can even like push Nadal and whatnot at his best. Like I mean, it, it's interesting too. This that this final after all that they've been through in Rome, I think it it shows a lot of how close the, these two are, like from each other, you know. Um, and now they feel if you, you want to move on to to Nadal, like I just want to start with this, and like uh, I haven't seen, I don't remember Nadal ever saying before he goes into a tournament that he wants to win it. <laughs> He obviously does want to win it, but like normally when he's asked about like for example um uh predictions or like projections yeah. in terms of like who's gonna face, he's like, Oh yeah, no, I'm focusing on my next opponent. This is like his his go-to yeah. answer is like I'm going one match at a time and seeing what happens and what happened it happened it, what happened it happened it. But like yeah. um I want to be at my time... best if I want to have chances to win. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. that's the that's, that's what he says. Yeah, time. but like his time is like the goal is to go to Rome and win. So mm-hmm. that's first of all, like congratulations, Rafa. You set a goal, you went for it, and you got it. Like it must feel really good. Um, but I don't know. Like it's it definitely shows uh, his hunger for winning, and I, I feel like he's really if if he gets asked, he probably will will 
dodge the question in a way that's going to let it to be very clear that he actually wants to go to 21 mm -hmm. in Roland Garros. I don't think yeah. he I don't think he will hide it very well if he if he tries to hide it. Yeah, I, I think um I, this is something that I was thinking about recently how he plays down his chances and everything and um and a reason that I thought he might do this is because the way he plays and the way he fights is sort of like he assumes he's an underdog in every match. And I wonder if that's an important part of his mentality. Like maybe it would be harder to play with such intensity and to fight so hard if he didn't sort of like convince himself that whoever he was playing was the favorite. And if you go into a match against like the number 50 in the world saying to yourself, oh, I've got this, I'm a way better player, then it would be easier to take a point or a game or maybe even a set off depending on the day. And so I wonder if um, these quotes are sort of his way of just utterly buying into that and that he needs to convince himself that he actually isn't the favorite so that he can play that way, which ends up being his best level of tennis. Um, that's just a theory, but yeah. No, I think it's a good theory because he's he he takes nothing for granted. You know, for him, it's like mm -hmm. next point, next point. You know, then focus on the next point and then the next game, and that's why he's able to win games when he, the guy is forty love up on their serve. And it doesn't matter if it's John Isner or it's world number, you know, one hundred fifty with a mediocre serve. You know, because for him, every point is like it, he plays every point like it's match point essentially. And so I think without yeah. that mentality, it'd be easy just to get complacent that, you know, I've, I've got this. And on, on that, I think he was, he was, uh, yeah, I was a little surprised too, when he said like, I'm, you know, my goal is to win Rome and then head into Paris with the right, you know, with the right mindset and motivation. And I think uh, he was just extremely disappointed at his Madrid performance mm -hmm. and probably just, just felt like, you know, I, I still have the, I still have what it takes, you know, Madrid is somewhat of an outlier with the conditions there and, you know that can happen to anybody and i think he said afterwards that his his clay season overall he's pretty happy with i mean there was more ups and downs for sure he was never really at quite his very best i think he hit into full gear when he saved those match points against chapo and then he got his revenge yep. over zverev in the quarters yep. and was tested a lot in that second set where he had to save eight break points but that's when he really that's when the forehand i thought really came back and that without that shot i mean Without that shot, uh, even on clay, even in Paris, uh, it's a lot it, easier it, to beat him. Yeah. To, to you know, mm -hmm. to believe that you can, to believe that you can mm -hmm. push him all the way at these win sets and things like that, and then, and then you know, so 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 from that standpoint, he still goes mm -hmm. into Chartier and he loves that whole court, and he knows he has so much space behind the baseline, and yeah. he can just do his thing, and you know, it's <laughs> yeah. it's like every other year essentially. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting to look at his clay season because he won two titles. He won Rome and he won Barcelona, 500 and a 1,000. But he had to save match point in both of those tournaments. Uh, in Barcelona, it was in the final. It was one. And here he had to save two against Chapo. And Chapo had unforced errors on both Didn't of them. Didn't he save two match points against Tsitsipas? Uh, no, it was just one. Um, just one. One at four or five in the third set. Yeah. 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 And um, so like two titles like is great, but it's also like he sort of won them by the skin of his teeth because also against uh, Shapovalov, he um, he faced a point to go down 4-0 in the second set when he had already yeah. lost the first. He was down a break in the third, and then he was down those two match points. And so it's amazing that he got out of it and um, and then like went on to achieve a really high level after that. And I just want to note how hard his road to this title was because because he didn't scheduling just have to wise, go through was, Scheduling yeah. wise, um, it was quite difficult, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, he, he to... played three hours and twenty five minutes uh, against Shapovalov, and then he had to come back early the next day in terms of the schedule and play Zverev. Um, 
And so I think by winning that one in straights, he sort of uh, got his recovery on track. But yeah, he, he beat those guys. And then he also beat Sinner in, in the first round he played, uh, which is, I think, the roughest draw yeah. he could have gotten. Um, and then he had to play Chapeau the next morning, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, then, and I, I think some people were saying that might have been one of the reasons why he fell behind so so much early, because um, uh, the Sinner match was at night and that one was during the day. And it was just uh, very different conditions with not much turnaround. But yeah, it's it's commendable to win um, this difficult of a Masters 1000 at... He, he's 35 or 34? Sorry. 35. He'll be 35. Uh, yeah, on June 3rd, he'll be 35. Okay. So, so I guess... Yeah. Call it 35 so, so 34, now. yeah. 34 now. Um, yeah, it, it's amazing yeah. that he keeps doing these things, but it's also interesting to look at if two points had gone the other way or if the net court had been uh, angry at him instead of mm. kind to him, he could be titleless. And he'd still be the favorite for Roland Garros like he always is, but... Um, yeah, like he got a good haul this clay season, but he had to work very hard for it. Yeah. yeah. One thing about the, the Shapovalov match, like the, I had a, I think it was on the, his second match point from Shapovalov that um, Nadal hit a, hit a super short for him. Oh my yeah. God, that made my yeah, eyes hurt at that point. Yeah. And like, <laughs> for one, I couldn't believe, I don't say I couldn't believe his luck, but like it, it wasn't like one of those moments that he'd go like, you know what I mean? Like yep. he just... You know, you just did that with your teeth. He probably was thinking about that. Like, oh my gosh, I almost went out that one. But like, it, yeah. it definitely gave me um, Zverev team feels. Like when Zverev hit that like sixty-five miles, uh, five miles. Oh miles yeah, second serve. It was like it was that level of hesitant. Yeah. Um, and it's gonna be a really bad joke, but it just dripped in. Didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think. Um... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just got that. Well done. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, saying that that was a short forehand is a bit of an understatement. I'm not even. I mean, did it? Did it even land like halfway off the service box? Barely, I feel like it might have been barely. even shorter than that. And and yeah, and yeah. he was lucky that Chapo, uh, that his eyes lit up or that he got tight and he shanked it. Um, yeah. yeah, that was yeah, that <laughs> was pretty to be, ugly. To be fair as well, I, I want to commend Chapo from like for. You know, he dropped Absolutely. the lead. He almost like got to a four-zero lead. Um, obviously, it's rough and down clay, so there's um, a level of uh, um, nerves and yeah. So, but like to to make it over into into the tiebreaker into the the final set, it was such a good set. Too. It was such a high quality set. Like Chapo yeah. was like ripping winners and doing his Chapo thing and making it work, and it was beautiful to watch. Um, I'm excited for Chapel and, and Roland Garros, honestly. Like I feel like, it's, mm-hmm. I feel like he has a really good chance to make it deep into the tournament. So yeah, yeah. Th- this was the most um promising match I've seen from him in a long time. I, I made fun of him a little bit for that Shanghai match point just now, but this like he played an amazing match. He was cleaning Nadal's clock on clay for an hour, which very, very few players can say. Um he got all the way to match point, didn't go away even when the second set was like stolen from him. And uh, I honestly wasn't sure he was capable of a performance like this at this point in his career. So yeah, I agree. I can't wait to see what he does in Paris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to go a little bit against the grain, I would say I wasn't too surprised by the, his performance because I've seen the peak level that he's shown in the past. Like not just Toronto 2017, I mean, not just Montreal 2017, but I know that when he plays the best players, um, you know, his level is there. Like we've seen it. And, um, you know, in previous matches, even against Djokovic at the ATP Cup or you know, certain certain matches against top players against team, he's pushed him tight. So so I knew that he's capable and I know that he 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 doesn't feel anything when he's playing Rafa. He has nothing to lose. Nobody's gonna, you know, you know, if you lose to Nadal three and two, nobody's gonna say anything. So I think that that really helps him. But uh, in terms of whether I've seen anything different or how optimistic I am in the future, I don't think it changes my opinion on it that much. 
But that being said, I mean, clay is a good surface for him because I think it gives him um, that little bit of extra time that he that he needs sometimes and it can help his return for sure it can help mm-hmm. his his big swings on the backhand and i mean it, it will never cease to amaze me how he can hit that jumping backhand you know oh, yeah. three four five feet shot. leaping in the air i mean it's a beautiful shot when it mm-hmm. when it goes in and it times it and for me it's like he just has all the ingredients you know to just mm-hmm. can he, if he can just put it together you know and uh, yeah. just if he can just you know sometimes i feel like he has a mid-court balls and if he can just put a little bit more margin on it and not aim so much for the corners every time, you know, I feel like, and he gets that bread and butter with the serve down and the forehand, and then just uses, has these reliable patterns that he can go to under pressure that, uh, and just keeps it simple. Um, I think he, he has a great future, honestly. And he's still only 20, 22, 22, right. He just turned 22. So yeah, he's got time for sure. And he's, yeah. I mean, I could see him going to the second week of the French open with a good draw. And if he's, if he can get hot, for I sure. agree. Yeah. And, and I think you're right that clay could be a home for him, sort of. Um, it's the same thing with Tsitsipas. The slower surface erases their biggest weakness, which is the fact that they love to take huge cuts on the return and they just don't have time to do that on faster surfaces. And then it all falls apart when they aren't able to do that. But on clay, they can back up. They have all the time in the world and they can just take those huge cuts and hit really nice, heavy returns. Um, and so the fact that clay lets him do that, I think, um, makes him a lot more difficult to play. He broke Nadal a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what did you guys think about um, team? Because, um, you know, he mm-hmm. played one good match. And then after that, he had to play local Italian Lorenzo Senego. And that match was oh, a yeah. good match, too. And Senego had to save, yeah. a, save a match point. I thought the level was pretty high in that one. And, um, you know, Senego eventually took it in a third set tie break. Team still not quite at his best, you know, um, definitely mm-hmm. not at the level that we've seen in 20, 2019 and 2018 and twenty. Uh, and you know, 2020 when he won, when he won the U.S. Open, obviously, but um, this week I think will be important for him in Lyon to um, to get in a few few more matches, and then maybe he can do something um, at the French Open with with the, either work his way into the tournament in those early rounds, um, like he did last year, um, before he eventually lost in a tough five set match to Diego Schwartzman. Mm-hmm. But uh, if he can if he can do that, and he's in the um, and he can make a semifinal again. I feel like that would be a good result for him at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, Sonigo credit to him because he beat team and then he goes and beats Rublev from a set down, which is not easy to do because that was Rublev, incredible. Yeah. Uh, has a great record when he wins the first set. And, uh, and I, I didn't see that match at all because it was going on at the same time as Djokovic and Tsitsipas. So most of my attention was on that one, but uh, it was a phenomenal effort by him. And then he took a set off of Djokovic uh, and in a 91 minute set. So, um, yeah, let's see if he can take if he can also take that momentum, and he'll be seated at the at Roland Garros as well. I think he, nobody would want to see a third round match with Lorenzo Senego. Definitely sure. not. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, team's clay season has been interesting because from 2016 to 2019, it sort of became a routine that he would beat Rafa once on clay before the French Open, <laughs> and then he would run into him in 17 and 18 and 19 and lose to him handily. But the fact that he was beating him like meant a lot for his prospects. It made him like the third favorite or the second favorite, and that hasn't happened this season. And part of it is that he just hasn't gotten the chance to play him. He didn't play Monte Carlo. Um, Nadal was the one who lost earlier than him in Madrid. And then he lost to Sinego, and um, he would have had to make the final, I think. Um, I actually fixed him to win. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. This tournament, which seems pretty foolish in retrospect. Um, but so the fact that he hasn't sort of done that doesn't make me feel great about his chances going into Paris because even though his uh, how he does in a lead up tournament is not really that relevant to how he'll do in um, a major, as we saw with uh, the US Open last year, um, I think he's gotten like a decent number of reps here. He's played some long matches and we've seen like flashes of. Um, peak Dominic team like against Sonego he I finally got to see those two backhand down the line winners late in the tie break uh, that took it from three five to five all and they were amazing yeah. uh they're breathtaking um he hits that shot off the one-hander better than anyone else um but the the monstrous form that we've seen before isn't there yet and mm-hmm. um and since it's been so long since we have seen that, I do worry a little bit. And so I agree with you, Vonch, that a semifinal would be a good result. I think he shouldn't put pressure on himself to do what he did in 2019 or 2018 because um, based on how he's playing right now, that could be a bridge too far mentally. Mm-hmm. And so I hope he does go deep in Paris. Uh, draws are much more interesting when he's in them. It's fun to watch him play the top players. And so I hope he has a good week in Lyon and um, can build his confidence and form ahead of Paris because it would be great to see him go deep again. Yeah. It would. And just on that, I mean, Roland Garros draw, it's going to be fascinating because you have Medvedev as the number two seed. Right. Medvedev, Everyone by wants the way, to be in that Medvedev half. Medvedev, by the way, became part gardener this week when he played uh, Aslan Karatsev, continues his <laughs> shenanigans on the clay. At this point, you know, at this point, while it's hilarious and it makes those highlight, low light reels, if you want to call them that, yep. it's like, you know, at the same time, it's like, what are you doing, Daniel? Come on, like focus yeah. now. Just, just, just get it together. Or just, just put in two or three good results. You're capable of this. Like you're, even if you're not capable to go all the way and you know win a few matches, you can at least, you can at least you know show a little more. But it was, yeah. it was, it was funny at times because um, obviously Rublev was watching and that and was really funny. Was like, laughing. He's Mama like Mamma Mia, Santa Italia, and Rublev yeah. <laughs> just started Italia. laughing. Yeah. Yeah, and Karatsev is just, you know, in his own tunnel vision, Doing just like his playing Karatsev his match thing. And, yeah. Yeah, and just wins. And, and then Medvedev is the number two seed. And so you're just like, whoever ends up in Medvedev's section, like if whichever one of those three seeds, um, the whether because Nadal will be the second seed now. And so they can, mm-hmm. uh, Nadal will be the third seed, my bad. So he could potentially play Djokovic in the semis. And, um, you know, I would actually like to see, you know, Tsitsipas and team play each other in the semis and Djokovic and Nadal play each other in the semis. I feel like that would be, be incredible. Oh, you're already cutting Medvedev out of the semis? <laughs> I just not even started um, it yet. I, I, yeah. I, I won't reawaken this debate, but if someone asks me, what is the best argument for clay court specific seedings? My answer will be Daniil Medvedev. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not get into yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but it, it is going to be interesting where all the top eight seeds fall because, yeah. um, you know, who will get which quarterfinal opponent? That could also yeah. decide a lot of things because Tsitsipas yeah. will be seated fifth. He won't be seated fourth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and yeah. so maybe he likes his chances more if he's in the Medvedev quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and just, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, you go first. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, like, before I move on to, like, because I had a thought about Medvedev this week as well. Um, and, uh, but before I want to say that, like, I want to talk about team a little bit. Like, because one thing is, like, Samigo was, like, playing. He was he was playing lights out tennis. It's not something that maybe he's been showing signs like he's not being playing badly over the couple last couple of years, but mm-hmm. he was he was definitely up a notch. Like he he it wasn't yeah, his was. regular Sonic. Mm-hmm. So he was just like ripping winners just as much as as team, and he he was definitely feeling like he was playing like um at the same level. And like when you feel like you're playing at the same level as like a top three, top four, top five player in the world, like. It's it's there to the top five for a reason, right? There's there's not a lot of people who can believe that they can do that, and Sonigo did, uh, which was oh yeah, impressive. I completely agree. But yeah, but it, it but team on the other hand, he had um, he he's getting closer to being consistently amazing as he is on clay. Like he, the two backhand down lines that he played were an example of that. The problem was the forehand that he played right after, which was like, he, I think he missed yeah. it out or something. He was, he just played a couple of bad points to, to end the tiebreaker. And that was it. Like Sonic was just there. Um, so I feel like team is very close. I, and it, it may help uh team as much as it did help Nadal. Like when he was, um, when you were talking about him, like his underdog mentality and whatnot, you may help team as well to think, oh, you know what? Like, I'm just going on nothing to lose. I didn't have the best of the clay seasons, but like, I'm, I'm here like mentally fresh in a way. Like, uh, I don't have a lot of pressure. So I would just do my thing and take it one match at a time. And I think he can click, you know, like the best of uh, best of five. He has a little bit more time to think about it and, and, and win. He obviously doesn't want to get uh, into... Um, three or four uh, best of five set epics like before the the quarterfinals or the semis um but i feel like he's he, he if you get like a tough four for setter like in the in the second or third round i think it's going to be interesting and you know what maybe he could uh, maybe he could draw a sonigo in his uh, third round <laughs> so yeah. who knows yeah i mean sonigo has been playing well like he yeah. he made the vienna final last year Obviously, he beat Djokovic two and one, but I don't really read much into that. I mean, that was that was not really a Djokovic. Oh yeah, but, no, that's, yeah, yeah. But like, um, but you know, and he's won a title on grass. He won a title earlier in the year on clay, uh, before Monte Carlo. Uh, he beat, he 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 won he won a title. He beat like Laszlo Gera in the final. So he's had some good he's had some good results on all the surfaces. And so I think, mm-hmm. you know, and he fully believed. Like you know, he had the whole Italian crowd with him. He went shot for shot. And I feel like team's mentality is somewhat uh, illuminating and interesting because he takes all this time off and, uh, you know, really opens up and expresses that, uh, you know, I'm feeling empty that, you know, so much went into last year, so many matches he had to play, even during the pandemic, he was playing matches when everybody else was resting. And so I I just feel like, you know, will it be enough this time to just that little bit of extra spark that's missing Mm -hmm. right now, I feel like, to where he wouldn't miss those forehands. He wouldn't miss the forehand right after in 2020, I feel like at four, at five all, yeah. and even at five three, he had a match point, and at five four, he made a couple of sloppy errors that just, you know, with just more matches and that match tolerance under his belt and reps, I feel like he would, he wouldn't. And if he can just get some of them this week, you know, two or three matches maybe, um, I feel like uh, he can build on that yeah. and Roland Garros. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, really quickly, I just want to say um, what Sinego did this week as well was incredible. And um, and I think his prospects are way up going forward. And he's not going to have the Rome crowd behind him all the time. Yeah, so that can make so things it's... more difficult. But the guy beat team. He beat Rublev from a set down. And then he almost pulled a Djokovic on Djokovic, which was winning that second set. From match point down, Djokovic served for the match. He had a ton of break points. And then Sinego even had love 40 at the start of the third set. And, you know, like the real Djokovic being Djokovic, he rebounded and ended up breaking twice in that set after holding from love 40 down. But just the fact that Sinego did that is amazing because that is not easy, especially after you've played long, draining, emotionally taxing matches against top players. So I'm excited yeah. to see what he does next because that was awesome. The I was actually um, thinking about just a last parallel before I talk about a little bit about my thought on Medvedev is that um, that Sonego team match reminded me about um, Andrea Seppi against Sovrinka, which was like a, th- a three-hour-long match in Rome, like a, a few a few years back. I don't remember if it was I think it was the third round or something like this. Um, and Interesting. It was Andrea Seppi was actually also out hitting Varinka as well. It was one of the best matches I've ever watched, and it was kind of one of those things that you imagine. Like, I hope it's not just because of the home crowd. Of course, like Seppi had a lot more of a crowd than Sonego did this time, but like, I mean, feeling pumped to play at home, it's it's a thing. Uh, but it's good to, that he backed it up afterwards. I don't think Seppi made it too far in that tournament, but like, he he had one of the best wins of his career then, and I think it was three tiebreakers if I'm not mistaken. But he was. It was a fantastic match, and he was definitely like drawing his tennis powers from the crowd. That was that was there. They were they were there. I mean, there's something special about Italian tennis right now. I mean, you can't yeah. deny that it's it's really booming. And you know, whether yeah. it's the federation or whether it's you know young players doing well, or whether it's they have events now and they have the next gen event, and then they have the ATP finals in Italy. Uh, Andrea yeah. Gaudenzi, the chairman, is Italian, so I feel like. They have a lot going for them. And, you know, you're right about the crowd. I mean, that, and I feel like that Wawrinka match, you know, the 2012 one, the three tie breaks is is a good illustration because like Seppi is a good player and he made it, he made it far and he played some of his best tennis at Rome, but then, you know, at the other events, he's not going to have that same fervor and support and and attention. So it's it's kind of cool that Sonigo was the one who made it to, made it to the semis, you know, that out of all the Italians, you yeah, know, out it of was all the, the Italians, the least talked about one made yeah. it, and so I think that's quite a quite a statement. I I really enjoyed his dance also that he did uh, his victory celebration after yeah. the beat team, <laughs> just riling it up with the crowd. It was great. Yeah, and so. and how how nice was it to have a crowd back, even if it was limited capacity? <laughs> yeah. That just lifted the energy of these matches so much. And um, with Djokovic and Nadal, the last time they played before this one, there wasn't a crowd really, and here there was, and that just brought the energy levels up so high and it was great to see i yeah. hopefully we get to see more of that safely going forward yeah and yeah. about medvedev like here's, here's the thing it, it, it's gonna sound extreme but um when owen was talking about like his shot tolerance and how he can like rally for long longest times and the fact that he's not exactly as good on clay and it sounds weird um it kind of reminded me a little bit of andy murray's in the beginning murray's career in the beginning that there's similarities was, for sure yeah i mean he was definitely not a great uh, not a great court play, court player and you think like you can run forever and you can run any ball in every ball you can rally forever why are you not good on clay right mm-hmm. um definitely um medvedev is andy murray with a sarcastic twist mm-hmm. uh, so uh Andy yeah. Murray definitely had a, a little bit more of a will to win, uh, even if he wasn't on clay. 
but it took him some time to actually figure out how to do it. And maybe Medvedev is going to be able to figure that out as well in his own awkward way, in 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 the sense of like maybe he's gonna actually do whatever Owen has said. Like, I'm just gonna run every ball and just like make crazy yeah, shots, push like, a little more, like extend yeah. rallies on his own terms. Yeah, yeah like the his, uh, his yeah. lack of results on clay, it just kind of turns in like this year. It's, it seems like he just has like a disdain for the surface, you know? Like, exactly. It's just, it's, yeah, that's why I'm saying like it's a little extreme because Medvedev is. Yeah, definitely. Like, but you don't know also if he's projecting it just because of the fact that he's not having results, but he tries. Yeah, I mean, so or yes, if he's like trying it, to turn himself into a meme, I mean, it's a weird decision a if he is because like, he's losing. But a lot yeah. of it is like just putting playing it down and like you know, like really taking that to the absolute extreme because he knows yeah. it's he's he's enjoying that a little bit. That yeah. he he. Yeah. he We've seen that from him before, but yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> my favorite was when when he when the ATP supervisor was in the crowd and he's just like, "Please default me," and I'm just like, <laughs> "That was, what, yeah. come on, man!" Like, <laughs> yeah, like you're I the mean, like you made you won 20 matches in a row on hard court. You, beat, right. you knocked off all your rivals. I mean, you've made a Monte Carlo final. You've won. You've beaten three top ten players on clay. Sure, mm-hmm. your Roland Garros results aren't that good. You know, I mean, like, like you're overdoing it now. It's like yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I um, think I think this year maybe not anything is going to happen. Maybe he's going to lose second round, third round. But I think over the years, like as the the season gets back to its normal tempo, I think he might find a little bit more of a groove, and he's going to have a crowd to to rile up. Yeah, uh, we next, should also mention he had COVID for ten days and was in bed. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean that might be playing a factor here. It, so. it could be. Yeah. I mean, what I'll say about Medvedev is I don't think he's figured out yet that when you're not no, good on a surface or if you're not playing well, you need to suffer. And like, it is going to suck because you will lose matches. You won't play your best. You'll lose close matches. You'll get crushed and it will happen over and over. But he needs to learn how to just take it on the chin and keep his head down and keep grinding because until he does that, nothing is going to change. And based on how his attitude has been, and look, I don't know how COVID has affected him, but he can certainly control his attitude, if not his lung capacity. And so if if he continues to act like this and like beg to be defaulted and mess with plants and like say that the surface <laughs> is damaged, then, then to be honest, oh, going forward on clay, the best thing he has on his side is his age. It's not anything he does. Like, and the, and the best virtue he has is that he's years and years to figure this out because he's still young ish. And it's not like his consistent backhand or his proficiency in long rallies on very specific surfaces so i don't know until i see an attitude change i'm not buying any medvedev stock on clay <laughs> mess with plants I like that. It made <laughs> me laugh so much that was fun to say i'm glad you thought it was funny <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean should we move on to the women's side because i feel Absolutely, like was about, about, i think that's a good to... note to end on <laughs> yeah. it started with Djokovic and Nadal, ended with medvedev messing with plants yeah <laughs> Igor Sviantek did not mess with plants. No, she did not. She did not mess with anyone. She was she not messing mess around with. for sure. <laughs> six love, six love versus Karolina Pushkova. Yeah, forty-six minutes, ridiculous. thirteen points. Like I just, I just read on, I just read on Twitter. Both of them, Nadal and Igor Sviantek, saved match points in yeah, the third two. round. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I said that in the, I said that in the, in the beginning of the podcast, but I was like more just super excited to talk to, to get into the. <laughs> I, I probably didn't the, listen to you because I was events. thinking Djokovic and other also. Yeah, and um, then I mean, Iga like, had saved those match points against Krajikova, you know, and the I don't even know if that's how you pronounce her name, but, but uh, she made the Dubai final earlier this year and she saved those match points and. 
I mean, she showed me something that she hasn't sh- shown before because I've always said like she can win easily. You know, she won the Roland Garros. She dropped mm-hmm. 28 games in seven matches. Um, when she's at her best, she just steamrolls everybody. And there's just nothing you can do because her game is so, it feels like it's built for the clay in a way that like she has those high margin top spin shots, but she can also flatten them out. And her backhand is a thing of beauty. Like when she slides and she hits that shot, she can hit it down the line. She can generate angles. She's got, she can, you know, um, back up her second serve much better this week. She was backing up her second serve than she did in Madrid where those double faults ended up costing her that first set against Ash Barty. But other than that, I mean, she was, um, just completely rolling over her opponents afterwards. But, Are we talking but, about uh, Rafa Nadal now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she's a big fan of Rafa Nadal, and she watched yeah, yeah. she watched Rafa in the final and everything. She got to meet him. Yeah, but like, was, um, there's a funny moment when uh, she was being interviewed on Tennis Channel after winning, and she sort of cut the interview short so she could go watch the men's final. Um, oh, that's oh, funny. Wow. Yeah, that's so that's, funny. That's, that's so great. But like you know, and then. What impressed me is more than the Krzykova was also the how she backed it up against Svitolina because I thought Svitolina is really good in Rome and she, you know, she's won two titles here and, you know, that was the Svitolina is like a barometer. It's one of those barometer players like Svitolina is like the next level. Like Mertens is one of them. Players like that, like if you can beat them, then you're you're playing really well. It's kind of like RBA on the men's side. You yeah, know, you or beat even RBA, Rublev maybe. And yeah, Rublev, and you're like, Rublev too. It, it's like that progression. And so to see her beat Martins and Coco Goff on the same day, by the way, is quite mm-hmm. impressive because Coco Goff herself also had a had a brilliant week. And, you know, I mean, she was helped a little bit by the fact that Ash Barty uh, retired, unfortunately, with the injury yeah. and they had to play the rain there. But she beat a ton I mean, of regardless, giants, so Sabalenka. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Goff had a brilliant week and she's in the top 30 now. And, you know. It's a great, great story for her because she's 17 and she broke through and had all those wins at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open and everything just kind of died down with the pandemic. And she was used to playing with more crowds than anybody <laughs> because there was so much Coco Golf mania yeah. that uh, everybody just wanted to catch catch a glimpse of her because we were witnessing history, essentially. And then all of that just completely went away um, to the other extreme. And now, you know, she's just quietly building every week and getting good results. So, and this was a, a step further, a Masters uh, WTA 1000 semifinal. And it's great for her because she's also competing for that fourth Olympic spot to represent her country in July at the Olympics with um, obviously key, uh, with the uh, players in the mix there with like Anisimova and Keys and Pegula in there as well. So she's, she's in that crop now. So she'll fight for that fourth spot and she'll be seated mm-hmm. at Roland Garros, which is nice, which is nice for her. But then she yeah, had taken she won't the final. Get to play, uh... <laughs> Ashley Barty in the first round, which could have happened. <laughs> exactly, some, yeah. She's had some bad luck in Grand Slams already. So I mean, now she could play. She could play her in the third round, or or not. Yeah. But it's 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 quite a because she's now made the third round of every major other than the French Open. So mm-hmm. if she adds that, and she's won juniors at the French too, so she can she 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 can really play on the clay. If, yeah. It yeah, favors and, um, our game in some aspects. Yeah, and um, speaking, go back, going back a bit. Speaking of uh, Sviantek's back, yeah, I, um, I went on a Coco Golf. No, yeah, all oh, good. Um, I mean, <laughs> she might have been similar to Nadal in that she saved two match points, but she wasn't similar in the way that she saved them. Uh, one of them was just a backhand cross court winner right after the serve. And for me, yeah. this clay season, her backhand has been the revelation uh, because we knew how good her forehand was. We knew how heavy it was, probably the heaviest forehand on the WCA or up there, at least on clay. 
but her backhand is just outstanding. We know she can defend from the open stance, but she can do anything with that shot. She can hit aggressive returns with it. She can redirect whenever she wants. She was constantly crushing backhands down the line winners against Pliskova in the final. And, um, and that wasn't just a double bagel. That was a lopsided double bagel. Oh, yeah. um, usually you see like... It was worse than the graph one in 88. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, that sounds um, right. Same, I think. It was 13 points won by the, the mm-hmm. either opponent. Yeah, but, yeah, but she won... had one game point, right? I yeah, mean, she had, one she game had to point win fewer points. Match. She won 53 points in the oh, total that right? of match. Okay, that's, okay. that's... Graph won like 61. Okay, yeah. And, and, the, and the minimum is 48. Um, and I think so uh, the, the that's graph match pretty much as close as you can. 1988 get. was like 36 minutes or something, something crazy. Like, oh my might have even been 33. It's also about the, the, the game style, too. But yeah, yeah. like length <laughs> yeah. of points, and, how much time they take between yeah. points. Yeah. And like yeah. Pushkova is no slouch. I mean, Pushkova is a top 10 player. She's one. You know, I mean, obviously we have to caveat it by saying it's not the same Pliskova as like 2016 to 2019, you mm-hmm. know, where she was, you know, like 2019, she pushed Osaka at the Australian Open semifinal yeah. and she was world number two at the end of the year. And obviously 2016, she made that US Open final and was 3-1 up in the third set against Kerber, won Cincinnati before that. So it's not the same Pliskova in 2020 to 2021. And she was helped Pliskova by the bottom half of the draw really, really opened up, I thought, for her. But regardless, mm-hmm. she's really formidable in Rome. She's won the yeah. title in 2019, made the final last year, and now the final again and to see and she's one of the best servers on tour i mean shviantek was shviantek made Pushkova look like she was nothing like she was mm-hmm. like if you just watch the highlights i mean she was so flat-footed the whole time she just she was just guessing and she just never found her groove and you really felt for her at the end because you know the crowd as um as blown away as they were by shviantek sense they wanted to see a more competitive match and unfortunately yeah. Yeah. that resulted in a bit of booing for carolina but um but it's like, you know, when she's playing at this level, I mean, who can stop her even at Roland Garros? And, yeah. and that's the question is, you know, where would you place her in the list of favorites? I mean, I still have Barty at number one just because of the sheer number of matches and what she's shown me across all clay courts. Mm-hmm. But I still think, you know, I mean, if the French Open on the women's side is the most open uh, yeah. slam, like Let's, somebody uh, new always just comes and surprises us and wins it. And it's like, you know, we had yeah. Ostapenko and then now we have... Yeah. I guess we can, we probably leave the, the French Open discussion for whenever the draw comes out, right? But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it might but not be anybody. Get, any Barty and Sviantha could play each other yes. in the quarters. How wild yeah. is that? That's and great. by the way, she's now, only just now she's broken in the top 10, which is amazing. Yeah. I mean, right. yeah. ninth now. that yeah. long. Yeah. And, and, you know, Muguruza's in there as well. And yeah. so... But yeah, I think Owen, we'll did you did you finish a thought? <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I have a couple more things to say, but you go first because oh it'll no, go ahead. Be okay. I, I was just I was I was gonna say something, but yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, I was gonna say I think um, there's a bit of a temptation to watch this and say, oh yeah, Sviantek's the huge favorite for the French Open, like no one can beat mm-hmm. her. But I also think that um, so I was listening to a uh, tennis with an accent earlier, and our uh, good Twitter friend Matt Zemek said something that I thought was interesting. He said, um. Like Pliskova sort of being in the form that she's in, even though she does well in Rome, he would have been more surprised if the final wasn't a blowout in favor of Sviantek. And so because of that, he doesn't really think that the French Open final, uh, sorry, the French Open favorites have moved around that much. And I kind of tend to, to agree with that because even though Sviantek's dominance was insane, I mean, in theory, the final should be the closest match of the tournament because you should have the two most informed players. And, and it obviously doesn't, always or even often work out that way but this was about as unclose as you can get but i think it's important to sort of resist the temptation to say that was incredible like no one can play better and realize that like we knew sviantek could demolish top players she's done it so many times before uh she did it like 
a bunch of times at Roland Garros last year. And so I think the bigger question is, can she produce that level when it matters? Because, um, because I think if she goes off the boil, then she could lose to a Bardi or a Sabalenka. And if she doesn't, then I think level-wise, she is the favorite. But because she hasn't been been able to sustain that otherworldly peak all the time, I think um, Bardi edges it for me. Yeah, I totally agree. I also have Bardi still at number one because of all the reasons yeah. you said. But equally, I also think she showed me something against Krajikova. where she can replicate that in a major yeah, you know, because that's a match like yeah. that. If you go on to lose that match, Kajikova obviously beat Kennedy the round before that. So you know, a good quality player, but somebody you're expected to beat, and you're down. You know, she was down a set and a break, and she was down match points. So, you know, she's never really shown that she can win a close match like that when she's not playing anywhere near her best, and she wasn't in this match. So for her to win that, I think is a step forward in her already yeah. young career. Yeah, and, and I, I think I, I fully agree with that. And one of the things that I, I think my my main takeaway from Sviatek's clay season so far, I don't know if she's playing any other tournaments before um, Paris, but um, I've seen her improve, I guess, in, in this season. And the way she's been coping, I guess, with the pressure of um, 2020 Roland Garros champion and the way that she did, because it's not like she just won the, Rolling arrows. She, she, she did it emphatically. So I guess like to to do that and come out and as like one of the greatest clay court players of like right now, like currently one of the greatest clay court players in the WTA um, on her back. It's not some, necessarily something that is like objectively true or not, but uh, it, she does have that um, you know that ghost uh, over her at this point, and I think she's dealing with it incredibly well because. When I was uh, watching her matches during um, this clay, this clay court season, one of the things that stood out to me is how how great of an attitude she has. She wants to play well. She wants to play better at every point. She wants to um, produce the tennis that she needs to produce in order to um, actually win the matches. And I saw that against Body, even though uh, she did lose that match um, in straight sets. Um, Body was just a player that knew how to peak in the right moments and knew how to. Um, play the match intelligently and maybe Sriantak maybe likes a little bit of experience and know-how in that, in that regard but I feel like she improved massively and just by winning Rome it definitely um, it's like the cherry on top of the cake on this uh, on this um, particular swing of the clay court, uh, on this particular string of the clay court season before Paris because um, even though she, she may not be a favorite for, for um, Paris yet but she also is not not a favorite she's she's right in the mix and we know what she can do and it, it really will depend a lot on how confident she is there and how i guess owen uh not owen but um when she said it like when you said like um she needs to find that that level um consistently and i think um i think it really will come down to that right to to how how much of an attitude she has towards being a favorite to win a tournament yeah, and and equally, it I mean, we saw how you Osaka. It. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we saw how Osaka won that tournament after saving match points. That extra lift that that something like that, getting out of a match like that, gives, um, is undeniable. I mean, we saw it both times this week on the men's and women's side. But equally, it also feels like Roland Garros is open, you know, because it feels like there's still so many formidable players on the clay that it sounds crazy to me. But like Naomi Osaka might not even be in my top ten. For, for 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 favorites at Roland Garros. I mean, mm-hmm. because obviously she's yeah. she can win matches, but you know, she lost to Jesse Pegula 
in the first round. Obviously, that's a pretty tough draw, but um, you know, she, she that that will hurt because she was she's she's a player who's not played a lot of matches on clay. She's only played three matches. You know, lost her lost early in Madrid. Uh, we we covered that one. I think she lost uh, to Mukova. But here she's she's here and she's up in the first set and she has set three set points and doesn't take them, and then she's she's uh, even in the tie break and then she misses a serve and then is just furious with herself because it still just feels like th- there's not that extra gear that she has or that comfort level with the surface yet movement wise and sliding wise to where it's going to happen for her this year. It may happen later. It may happen two or three years from now, but I just don't think she's put in that necessary time and effort this season to get better on the clay. I mean, and, you know, because she lost that first set and she was furious with herself. She even smashed her racket, which is something I never see from Osaka. So clearly it's, you know, her form is in doubt from that standpoint. And, you know, and, and she loses. And I, I don't believe she's even playing a warm-up tournament. Yeah. So I would I would like to... I would like to see more of that. And then, you know, then we move on to the grass and we see what happens with her there um, apart from the hard courts. Otherwise, you know, this narrative will keep continuing that uh, she's, you know, predominantly there on one surface. Whereas now you have, you know, Shviantek and even Bart and obviously Barty is the week in week out model of consistency, 52 weeks period um, who's winning those majors. So it's an, it's, a, it's kind of an interesting kind of time with those three right now, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think something Osaka has going for her, even if the results aren't in her favor yet, is that her problems are technical rather than mental, like Medvedev's are. Yeah, I think she yeah. wants to be out there and she wants to improve, and she recognizes that clay is not a damaged surface, um, and she leaves the plants alone. Um, <laughs> but but what she does need to work on is is sliding. We talked about this in other uh, in a recent podcast that. Um, when she was playing Mukova, it was obvious that Mukova was way more comfortable sliding. I could see it just in the highlights that yeah. um, Osaka's feet were getting stuck a little bit, and I don't think that has changed. And that's not something that's going to change from one tournament to another. But I, I do think she wants to work hard on it, and and she yeah. is, and that that will take care of itself eventually. So I'm much more confident in her eventual clay court prowess than I am in Medvedev's. Yeah, I think we also have to keep in mind that she's such a global superstar now. I mean, she's now hosting the Met Gala in September with the likes of like Timothy Chalamet and like Amanda Gorman. I mean, this wow, is she's I didn't like know a that. huge That's amazing. And she has over 23 blue chip sponsors and you know things like that. And she's the richest female athlete, you know, in the last one year. And so commercially, she's a big commodity. And you know, in the Tokyo Olympics coming up and in her hometown and you know, you just feel like so many off-court things going on, you know, along with the tennis. It's very much Serena, Serena-esque in her early years. And so you just wonder, you know, how much of that is going to keep her from, you know, improving at a faster rate, let's say, on clay and grass. It's just something to keep an eye on and wonder. And I mean, she's only 23 right now, and she'll love it when the hardcore season comes back. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if she can just, you know, get little by little better on these other surfaces, it would be... I mean, she could be even a even a much bigger deal than she already is, which is crazy because she's so marketable as it is already. And yeah, for sure. And I, I do think, by the way, that grass will help her a lot better because I do think she's better at dealing with the lower balls, and she has a and her serve will will get rewarded on the grass. So um, the the question is just how well can she move on it and can she get enough matches on it before Wimbledon and will she be comfortable on it and. Build on it because it's been two years since since that. Yeah, 
if if she if she wants like a smooth transition to grass, maybe maybe if she ends up losing early in Roland Garros, it wouldn't be so much a bad thing. She could go yeah. on and start practicing on grass right away. But like, I, I guess this is a little just too far into the future at this point. So I don't know. I feel like I feel like we should just end there in this uh, yeah in this episode about you know Rome, and that was probably the best clay tournament. Was it the best tournament since Australia? I guess it was, honestly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think you could even argue that it was the best tournament, including Australia. But, um, I but I think that's much more up for debate. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that's a that's a great way to end it. I do also want to remind our listeners that uh, uh, check out the TNNS app, and also that uh, Serena Williams is also back in action. She's playing in Parma this week, and she also she lost early in Rome and lost to Nadia Podoroska, who made the semifinals. Uh, of the French Open last year, but it was her first match back in a really long time. So nice to see that she's playing this tournament to get in some more match reps. And so keep an eye out for that. And then obviously you've got Lyon with Dominic Team and Sitsipas playing and Sinner and Karatsev and other players like that tomorrow. And so check that all out on the TNNS app. And obviously uh, every time Roger Federer is in a draw, it's a big story. So yeah. check that. So We'll Actually, see then, stay yeah. stay in tune for Roger Federer because we have more stuff going on about him. Like uh, last week, we didn't necessarily frame it as a Roger Federer thing; it's more as a Rome and Fedal thing. But mm. um, this week, uh, stay tuned because we actually are planning like a full-on Roger Federer episode on clay. Don't worry, we're not gonna claim that Roger Federer is the best clay player of all time. There's not <laughs> even an argument for it. We just want to acknowledge the guy. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, is it okay if I say what the topic of the episode will be, or should we keep that a surprise? I think I feel like we already are. I don't know. Let's vote. Let's vote on camera or All on right. podcast, on microphone. Uh, I, I what will do you vote, think, yes. Punch? Wait. Uh, vote? Would you, should should, uh, you should Owen... Um, <laughs> Sorry. Should, should Owen leak the, 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 uh, should Owen leak the theme of the I, Roger I think... Federer episode? Didn't we already do that? I think so. I think we've already told our listeners. I'm pretty sure we said it at the end of Rome 2006. Yeah, I'm just, I'm confused. But like, All right, then. Uh, Then then do it. Maybe maybe get new listeners. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah, so to mark uh, Federer's return to Clay, um, we are going to talk about his um, French Open run in 2009, which is the one title he's won there. He had to fight out of a bunch of close matches. It was was historic. Uh, It completed his career uh, slam and tied him with Pete Sampras's 14 majors. Um, it's so much to talk about. I almost just got into it there. So, uh, so stay tuned for that. We're all really looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for being part of this podcast and great talks. Um, hoping for a lot more Djokovic, Nadal, Lishviantek and great matches from the click yes. season or for whatever remains from it. And of course, super excited for uh, the French Open. Yeah, it was lovely to talk as always. And if Roland Garros is half as good as Rome, I will be very happy. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a, it was, it was a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, hope our listeners enjoyed as well. And I'm excited to do more episodes. Yep. All right. So uh, you can follow us all on Twitter. I am at Rolandberg Andre and Owen is at Tanner's Nation and Vansh is at Vansh V2K. Uh, follow us for, tennis comments stats and live blogging and pretty much all tennis related stuff i think owen just dabbed in front of me i did yeah sorry <laughs> oh my goodness i was hoping i wouldn't be out it but oh well here we are <laughs> well you can you can have yeah. that image in your head if you know what owen looks like but in any case um well yeah i'll see you guys we'll see you this week still so stay tuned for roger federer 2009 roland garros and we'll see you guys later bye 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 